Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it's Giles. Apologies for any background noise, but I'm recording this in a corridor at ITV. I'm just outside the This Morning studio, and I'm on my way to find this week's guest. This is where I'm setting off from, and there is a bit of background clutter, but I quite like that. Proves we're live. Welcome to Rosebud. Talking to a friend, somebody I've known for more than 40 years. We first met in the 1980s when she was a very young presenter at TVAM, which was the first breakfast commercial television station in the UK. And then, as now, there's something about Lorraine Kelly that people warm to. There's a sense of being one of us, a sense of being sensible, amusing, interested. She's a special person, but what made her a special person? Why is she the Lorraine Kelly that people know and love and watch literally five days a week? That's the point of Rosebud. We meet interesting people, memorable people, and find out about their first memories. And maybe through discovering what they remember first from their childhoods, we learn a little bit about where they came from and why they are who they are. And also, their recollections may trigger recollections for you. Anyway, it's Lorraine Kelly, television personality, interviewer, writer, novelist, a remarkable individual and a very nice one. Lorraine, I want to begin by simply asking you What is your very first memory? Well, this is an interesting one because I'm not sure whether it is my memory or whether it is just because uh, of the photograph that we've got. Um, But my mum and dad were very, very young when they had me. They had to get married because mum was pregnant. And they had me and they lived in a, we call it, well, it would basically be a one-bedroomed place um, that they had. It was just a room. That was all it was. Um, And 
my memory is being outside with a really itchy woolly hat on that my mum had put this woolly hat on and it was dead itchy and it was under my chin and I was kind of growing like that and there is a picture of me looking like a wee well looking like a wee cut down man to be fair because I'd on wee tartan trousers um, and obviously I had a nappy on so big fat bottom um, and this really really itchy hat and I always remember that but I'm not sure whether it's the photograph or the memory do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. The two of sort of merged in um, and it's, it's quite yeah it's quite strange and that was well you don't know at the time but that was a pretty it was a great place to live because of the sense of community but it was outside toilets and one tap you know it was pretty and where, where pretty is this and in when the is go, this in the gorbals uh, that Gorbles. would be 1960 i was born in 59 so that probably would i was probably about two so it would be about 1961 1962 and we've all heard of the gorbals uh-huh. but it's a district of glasgow it is it is and it was notorious for you know having like the worst uh, cases of child mortality in the UK um, but it was an amazing sense of community because everybody was in the same boat nobody had anything so neighbours would help one another out um, my mum she my mum was very <laughs> she was very she was very innocent she she was um it was like my gran almost had two families she had the older four and then there was a gap where sadly she she had miscarriages and then there was the youngest four sisters but the youngest four sisters were sent to a convent from when they were tiny so my mum was educated in a convent it wasn't a particularly happy time for her and she came out of the convent got a job um oh really great job spinning records you remember remember in the old days you used to spin a record and you could go in and listen to it mm. so that was her job and my dad worked in the same place um and he was a tv engineer so very glamorous you know um, and the two of them started walking out with each other um, and then i came along and for years Giles for years I thought I was a miracle baby because mum had me in July and uh, no mum got married in July and had me in the November so I was like oh I don't know four months premature (laughs) well done you but people, young people now, forget that era yeah, when it was completely it, unacceptable. It was, and it was kind of shameful. And in fact, my mum's mother, the formidable Granny Mac, um, said to my mum, right, I'm not having this. You're going down south. She was thinking about Cheltenham, uh, where my aunt lived, to have the baby and then put it up for adoption. That would have been me. And it was my wee dad, my wee dad faced up to this real matriarch and said, no, we're getting married. He said, no, we're going to get married. And, he, and you know, and he was from a really poor part of Glasgow. So was mum. So was mum. How old was she? Uh, 17. So she was very, very young. Yeah, they were both 17. They were 18 when they when I was born. And, and they were nothing. innocent in the sense that maybe they didn't quite know the consequence of what they were up to. <laughs> this was, of course, pre the, the contraceptive pill. Absolutely, it was. And uh, my mum straight out the convent, you know. And it was called, Giles, it was called a mixed marriage because my mum was Catholic and my dad was Protestant. Well, and that was really frowned on back mm. then, which is, cr- again, nuts, completely, mm. completely crazy. So the people that didn't go to their wedding on both sides, oh you know, and the wedding was in a registry office. I mean, they didn't have, they did not have a pot to pee in, literally. So, you know, it was all done. I think my mum said um, for their wedding breakfast, do you know how you have, you're supposed to have the mm. big do? Um, it was a cup of tea and a Kit Kat. 
Yeah. It's rather fun, actually. I know. A cup it was of tea a cup and a Kit Kat. Actually, I think it was a cup of tea and a penguin biscuit. Because uh, for years, my dad always used to buy my mum a penguin biscuit on their anniversary. That, well, that's a, that's a good way of having a an cheap anniversary <laughs> present. How did the marriage work out, in fact? Because they were so young. They were so, so young. Well, back then, you just got on with it. But did they stay together? Oh, yeah, they're still together. I mean, what, what age am I? I'm 64, so they've been married just over 64 years. Wow. I that's know. a long time. It's a long time. And they're still talking to each other? And yeah, 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 they drive each other crazy but yeah they're still talking and they're still living together and they wonderful yeah, and do they have other children I've got a baby brother who is um six years younger than me and I was the spoiled princess and then this angel Giles this angel came along mm. it looked like he'd floated down from heaven mm. on a cloud he was chubby he had giant blue eyes and uh, and golden hair he was just like baby from central casting and I hated him with every fibre of my being. And I used to nip him. I was horrible to him. He still talks about it today. We're really good pals now. You pinched him or you bit him? I, I pinched him. I, I nipped him under under his arm oh. because you couldn't really see the bruising there. Oh. So I used to nip him. I used to steal. She got free orange juice back then. Oh. And I used to drink his orange juice. Gosh. I was horrible. And my mum would say, you know, my mum, I'd say, can I put Graham's clothes on? And I would like screw his wee shoes on just so he would, he would yelp. I was horrible. And... Were you poor as a family? You weren't well off. But we weren't were well off, but we weren't poor. We no. really weren't poor. I mean, mum and dad worked, my dad worked all the hours that God sends. Um, and we moved from the Gorbals when I must have been about two and a half. We moved to Bridgeton, which is in the East End of Glasgow. And it's um, and we had an inside toilet and that was joy, bliss and happiness. We still didn't have hot water, though. Mum used to always have to boil kettles. But yeah, no, we were, we were really comparatively well off. You know, I was sent to school... Like, absolutely immaculate. The house is immaculate. You know, mum kept a really, really tidy, lovely house. Um, and, you know, we were fed really well. So it was all home-cooked meals from scratch. What, what do you remember of home-cooking? Oh, what my goodness. Still, still to this day, my mum's chicken soup is the best thing that you will taste in the world. Um, it's just, it should be used to cure all. You know, it is penicillin. Um, yeah, her homemade soup was wonderful. We always used to have a lemon soul fish on a Friday. She used to, she used to oh. shop every day. So she was the Catholic one. Yeah, but I never really equated that with mm. Friday having, you know, it was one of those things I just thought that's what you did. Because we were brought up, uh, no religion at all, I, I haven't been christened or baptised. Oh gosh, despite the convent uh, and despite uh, him being a Protestant. Yeah, no, no, and they weren't, they both were not religious, really, they weren't. I mean, my mum had a bad time at the convent, so... I mean, she was sort of cruelly treated by the nuns, Well, or? it wasn't, it wasn't great. I mean, there was no, if you, if you like, there was no sort of physical abuse, but they weren't treated very well, they really weren't, and, you know, it's still to this day, I think, has has sort of because she's lo- my mum is lovely. She's like the nicest woman you could ever meet. But I think now it's interesting. Now she'll talk to me about it for mm. years. She wouldn't really talk about it, and I think she there's part of her that really wants to find out more about why she was there, what what happened to for her, her and her four sisters to be put there while her mum and dad were still alive. What was going on there? And we've we've never quite we've got lots of theories, but we've never quite worked it out. What is the winning theory? What do you think? Uh, just reason? that my gran was not a great manager and my uh. grandfather had affairs. Um one time on the bus, Granny Mac used to tell us that one time on the bus she saw her husband in this um 
he was with a woman who worked as a waitress and had red hair and my gran went behind him and banged their two heads together. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's true or not because my granny Mac told whoppers, Giles. Whoppers. Oh, we were descended from Maltese royalty. Oh, she cooked for the Tsar of old Russia's. Oh, you know, oh, we were descended from Irish royalty. I mean, she just used to make things up. She loved Winston Churchill and she used to tell us that she made cakes for him and that she used to, she used to write letters from Winston Churchill. It wasn't from Winston Churchill. But she just, she, she was very... Um, she was she was much she was a lot she was a lot my grand she used to sachet around Glasgow and East Kilbride like with great big mantilla hats on you know and you know she would get all dressed up and spray herself tweed perfume every time I smell tweed perfume mm. I think my granny but she would always say don't keep anything for best and she'd be taking the bins out all dressed up with her fur coat on and spraying herself with perfume she was something great character <laughs> a huge character nightmare in many ways but uh, yeah she was very interesting who was your first friend when you were a little girl my f- best friend I think when I was a kid kid was Elizabeth, Elizabeth Spark, who was in the next close to me. Um, you know, that like we lived in tenements, so we were in, uh, yeah, she was the next close. And we sat beside each other at school, so that's where you meet, meet your friends. But is, I loved Can her. I ask something? Is Spark a well-known Scottish surname? The reason I ask this is when I was talking to Nicola Sturgeon, her first boyfriend was a Spark, ah. known as Sparky. Well, obviously, and, and that was what Elizabeth was known as as well. <laughs> He lived up to his name. Was she quite sparky? She was, and she was lovely. And and you know, we we still we still keep in touch. Gosh. We send Christmas cards. She came to see me recently. Oh, and we had so many different memories. And why did you bond? Um, a love of probably David Bowie and Mark Bolan, which we loved. Um, and we just got each other. We were both bookworms. I mean, my mum taught me to read and write before I went to primary, so I was like four, and I had this love of Gosh. books, which is the best gift that anybody can give you in the world and there was always books in the house my mum is still a great reader as is my dad you know there was always magazines newspapers books everywhere they were obviously intelligent people very much so my dad should have gone to university did did they now miss that did they were they conscious of that at Um, the time i think i think because you know they had me and they just had to grow up so quickly but then they sort of they were never pushy very very sort of self-taught working class particularly my dad you know my dad is he has an encyclopedia and of course you'd have gone to uni but back then if you were in the Gorbals you lived in the Gorbals there was no way you could go there just wasn't the money it would be impossible for them to go um, but it's very much self-taught uh, which is great and then they passed that on to, to me and to my brother the only thing was I was sent to school I could read and write I was the class swat my mum would put curlers in my hair well ringlets she used to make them out of old tights and, and stockings and she'd wrap my hair and I may as well have a sign saying beat me up you know really <laughs> might as well so I had a wee bit of bullying not too much because my auntie Carol went to the school and, and threatened everybody not to bully me anymore so I Wait, didn't have it saying, as much was it teasing or was it bullying oh it was bullying and what, does, was, what does that mean jeering at you yeah there was a lot of like you? you know being a sook and being a swat a sook is like I don't know what that is in English a sook when you're sooking up to somebody uh, sucking up you uh-huh, mean, yes you were the class favourite you I sat was, in the middle of the front and row. I was always you know the top of the class and you know it would always be that so I would imagine I was pretty insufferable and um, maybe not meaning to be but I probably was so there was a bit of that and a bit of sort of jostling and everything but, who was the first writer whose books you remember enjoying um, George Orwell. 
I didn't, oh, yeah. I, I'm, I was meaning more in the uh, Enid Blyton era. And oh, when Enid Blyton, more I mean, the, the very amazing. first book you can remember, um, Loving as a Little Girl. As a really tiny... I, mean, I know you were precocious. <laughs> no, no. Well, it was <laughs> she could read right age four. George Orwell, 1984. I read that first when I was six, I think. Well, I think I read it when I was 10. But I mean, or 10 or really? 11. Yeah, My I remember goodness. it. I remember it vividly. I remember crying after reading it and being, and then thinking, 1984, that's so much in the future. I wonder if I'll still be here in 1984 yeah. and what shall I be doing? Yeah, it would be Enid Blyton. Um, yeah. I loved the books, um, the St. Clair's books and Mallory Towers mm-hmm. books, because to me that was a world that I knew nothing about. Midnight snacks and lashings of ginger beer and going to like a school away from your mum and dad. I always thought that was a bit odd that people got sent away to school. Why would you do that? You know, because when we were growing up, you just went to the nearest school. Yeah. We went to the school Strathclyde Primary because it was around the corner. You know, was it a good school? It was a great school because it had amazing teachers. And one of the teachers I'm still in touch with, and I've been lucky enough to have truly inspirational teachers. Who was the first one Miss that Spears. counted for you? Miss, Miss Spears Miss was Spears. amazing. She's now Mrs Button. And she uh-huh. came to see me as well. We had such a great catch-up. She came to me again, you know, Christmas She was a cards. general teacher or was there Yeah, something? she was when I was, I must have been about seven when I was in her class. And I remember that um, her and the other teachers went to Greece. Now, they must have been so young. They would have been in their 20s, but we thought they were ancient you know yeah. because we were only babies ourselves six and seven years old and they came back from Greece all tanned must have been one of the first holidays over there and they taught us how to do Greek dancing um, and they would put plays on and they would encourage us to be that's where I started writing no creative writing was my favourite thing and they encouraged us to read and to write and to be creative in, in any way that we could be and it was just you know in that class there were kids who were really poor um, but you know there was a lot of care in that school you felt safe you would go in there and you felt safe and you also felt loved and cared for which is hugely important can you remember the first moment when you might have felt embarrassed of something you'd done or ashamed or ashamed do you know i think this is so strange and you'll probably think this is really odd um but when we moved from glasgow because they were knocking all the houses down and what happened was somebody with a clipboard went to your house and decided whether where you go so if your house was really clean and tidy and you kept a clean house, uh, you were sent to East Cobride, the new town of East Cobride, but like Milton Keynes. Mm. If you weren't, you get sent to one of the, well, what was it? Billy Conley used to call them deserts with windows. You know, you <laughs> might get sent to somewhere like maybe Easter House or Rukesi. Uh, not quite as good. Do you know what I mean? Which I is do. terrible. You know, at that stage in your life. And, and, and I remember we, you know, we went to East Cobride and I had always, when I was at my school in Glasgow, it was in, in Bridgeton, it was always like you put your hand up to, to say, yeah, I know the answer to that. Or, you know, you were encouraged. You encouraged to put your hand up. And then I went to East Cobridon where everybody did that thing of, oh, we're too cool for that. Nobody does that. So I went from being sort of like top of the class, you know, really confident to being in this situation where I went to a school where there was like 2,000 pupils and you were actively discouraged not to take part in stuff. And I found that really weird. And I remember feeling really embarrassed about always putting my hand up and saying, I know the answer to that. And they'd all just look at you and mm. say, what? <laughs> You're not cool at all. So it was weird because I had no knowledge of that. So I went from being, you know, sometimes getting a wee bit bullied for being, if you like, posh in that sense, to then going to Esco Bride where I was thought of as, you know, oh God, from Glasgow. Oh, the overspill. Oh, terrible. <laughs> so it 
was really, really odd. It and was did just you bizarre. modify your behaviour? Oh, absolutely. I used to fit in, of course you do. Um, although I was a wee bit of a rebel at school. I do remember getting into trouble for, I love David Bowie, and I came in with a circle on my head like he wore, um, and I got into terrible trouble for that. Just for, yeah. So now and again I would rebel. And when did you find your first boyfriend? Well, first seed, I was a late developer, Giles. A really, really late developer. I would have, like, boys that... And I wasn't really that bothered. I mean, I always remember going to the disco with my bestest friend, Joyce. Um, because, obviously, uh, Elizabeth Spark and I lost touch because when we left, we didn't have the phone. My mum got the phone installed in East Cobride, but there was nobody to phone because nobody else had a phone. So there was only me on the phone. And did she have one of those shared lines? Uh, yes, yes. The a neighbours also had a party line and you could pick it up and you could hear the Are other... Are listening to somebody's <laughs> conversation? But yeah, but my best friend at school was Joyce. We were both, again, Swats and we just got each other. She's my, still my bestest friend. I mean, she's my bestest friend in the world. Um, my daughter calls her Auntie Joyce. You know, she's, she's amazing. Um, we were late developers. So when we would go to the discos, we didn't want boys to ask us to dance. We were having too much of a good time together. We couldn't be bothered with all that. So I suppose my first serious boyfriend was a chap called Brian when I was about probably 15. And he was lovely. I mean, I'd, I'd sort of had boyfriends before that but it literally was hand-holding you know yeah. and it was it was kissing which I thought was yuck so oh, I, was <laughs> I could say, be bothered with all that can you describe your first kiss it's clearly not it wasn't a no, magical well, moment with, with Brian it was lovely it, it was but we were really innocent back then you know really innocent when I think about it now and I think what kids are bombarded with oh. now you know but yeah it was it was all it, it took a, it took a wee while describe Brian to me Brian was really really for very good looking, very unusual looking, almost looked like a, a Native American. He had very, very dark oh. hair and high cheekbones. Um, and he was as cute as a button. That he is was a look. just as Instead cute of touch as a the David Bowie about him. Well, he was different. Mm. I always go for boys. I don't, I don't really go for the obvious. You know, like Brad Pitt doesn't do it for me. I'm, I'll let him know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll be devastated. Um, but were you, were you pretty? Were you quite... I was all right. I mean, I was always a bit chubby and I was never really... I'm terrible. I was never really bothered about clothes oh. or bothered about stuff. I'm still not very good at that. I'd much rather spend my money on going on an amazing trip somewhere, like to Antarctica or Mongolia or somewhere really fascinating and interesting than a ring. Jewelry to me, it's just diamonds are just carbon. So with Brian, did you think this is rather good? I'm, it's he's a bit out of my league, or was he a year older than you? No, we were both in this, both the same year. But you know what? In the we same were, class of school. The same class. But when I left school, I was supposed to go to university, but I didn't. I got a job in the local newspaper. And I was just working all the time. See, this is where the work ethic starts. So I was working, working, working all the time. And I just never saw him. Because you're working during the day and then at night there was council meetings or there was, you know, things to go to. So what age did you leave school then? Uh, 17. What was your first ambition though, before before you actually found a job? I always wanted to write, but I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do. But I knew that um, I'd always been attracted to journalism. I don't quite know why, because nobody in the family was. But my grandmother was a great storyteller. Taylor, most of it totally made up, as I said. Um, but I, I loved that. I loved story. I loved telling stories. Were you stories. writing stories? Yeah, have I think you, like have all you kept kids. Any of them? No, I should have. Shouldn't I? 
<laughs> should have. I remember doing. I remember doing a book, and it was called Wally Woogle Goes to School. And me and my friend Aileen did this this sort of picture book, kids' picture book, and I've still got it to this day. It's one of my favourite things, and I look back on it, and it really always makes me think, "Wow, what a great time we had!" And this was again because of the teachers encouraging us to do these things. So we actually did a book. I mean, handwritten wee cartoons about Wally Woogle going to London and meeting Winnie Woogle or something. I don't know. <laughs> idea but it was crazy but it was great fun you know you were clearly gregarious and social i mean you, yeah. you, there was sparky there was yeah Eileen, there was yeah. joyce there was i know i had so, good friends and i yeah. still have really really good friends yeah. but i'm quite i know this makes it sound kind of mad i'm quite shy in lots of ways i know that sounds a bit crazy for the job i do but if we go out it's my husband who's the party heart of the party you know he's he's great you know he makes a party just by himself and i tend to be a bit quieter i suppose <laughs> Hello, it's Giles here, and I'm delighted that this series of Rosebud is sponsored by one of the finest hotels in the world. That's no exaggeration, the J.W. Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel on London's Park Lane. We often record Rosebud at the Grosvenor House itself, and afterwards I always make sure I pop down to their beautiful park room for some tea and cake. Cake is my one weakness. Afternoon tea is naturally my favourite meal of the day. I'm excited to tell you that in the run-up to the festive season, Grosvenor House are offering a very special afternoon tea to celebrate a much-loved Christmas story, The Snowman by Raymond Briggs. Yes, I knew him too. The magical menu features five limited-edition cakes and pastries inspired by The Snowman. Delicious finger sandwiches, scones, clotted cream and jam, a pot of newbie fine tea, and even a glass of champagne. This tea promises to be an enchanting experience for all generations and is available from the 17th of November. Visit www.parkroom.co.uk. That's www.parkroom, all one word, .co.uk to book. You never know, I might just see you there. And when you do book your snowman tea, tell them that Giles sent you. So you leave school uh-huh. and you go, you, you join a newspaper? Yeah, it's the local paper, the East Kilbride News. And was that easy? Because I, I still advise people who come to say, well, how am I going to get into journalism? Yeah. I say, the, is the old way, is the best way? Yeah, it really is. But there aren't quite local newspapers it's in the way the they were. It's not the same. It's not, so East Kilbride News is still going, still thriving, yeah. but it's not the same. It's really not. And how did you get the job? You just went it. along, knocked on the I door? I applied for it. I saw it. I saw it in the local paper um, and I applied for it and I was so lucky to get that job. I don't know how. I managed it but I did my my, my real ambition though was to be a fighter pilot for the RAF that's what I really wanted to do but obviously I was a girl and back then you know when I told the careers officer he just it chortled frankly um, and then I thought I'll go to I'll go to uni you know I didn't really know what I wanted to do did you just, get into university? yeah I was supposed to do Russian and English and I didn't because we were lucky to do Russian at school and um, we had a brilliant teacher Madame Desalou she was amazing uh-huh. she was from Africa I loved her um, and she was brilliant and I, I loved it but I've forgotten it all now except I did go to I remember going to New York when my friend uh, Siobhan was working over there and the two of us ended up in a vodka bar and funnily enough apparently I am told I was chatting away <laughs> and I don't remember it and I couldn't that, do it now that's the vodka for you <laughs> I think it gets rid of the inhibitions and all the, all the stuff that's in there. Clearly you were very brilliant. Oh, I don't know No, no, that. no, you were. You were going to go to university, you could speak Russian, <laughs> you were remarkable. Uh, were you conscious of that? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I, absolutely Did not. Did you feel you were a special person? No, 
No, I never did. I mean, I did to my mum and my mum and dad. I did, you know, mm. to my family. Mm. I did. Obviously, you are, but not really, because there was so many other brilliant people in that school. You know, there are amazing kids in that school who were so so bright. But I loved being at the East Kilbride News because you could do everything. What was the first story that you that the was first your story? Story that was my story. Oh, it was a cracker. <laughs> Street of Hazards on the front page by Lorraine Kelly, Yay. and your first byline you always remember. Street of Hazards. A couple of people had parked their car. Room. <laughs> you know, it really wasn't a street of hazards, but it was a good headline. Got people reading, and I loved it. I re- I was so lucky. I had my own page towards the end, um, and I was there for about must be there for about four four and a half years, and then I decided that I wanted to do. Something else, you but know. But that's good to stick it to it for four and four and a half oh, years. Oh, I had so much to learn, and I learned so much. I learned every day. It's the and same who was now. your first editor? Do you remember? Mr. Barr was my, and we called him Mr. Barr. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember walking in on my first day, and I was so nervous. And Mr. Barr was in his office, and you couldn't see him. You couldn't see him for a fog of smoke, and everything was brown. I don't know if you've seen, um, was it Life on Mars? Mm-hmm. That brilliant yes. series where where he goes Amazing. into he goes into the police yeah. station, and everything is a fog of smoke, wow. and everything is brown, and that's what it was like. And everybody smoked. I didn't, thank the Lord. But in those days, everybody did smoke. My father smoked, and he used to had a yellow streak in his (laughs) silver hair because when he held the cigarette to his forehead. Uh, and you go to the cinema, uh, well, oh, you, the can right, see it. you couldn't see the screen because of all the smoke. <laughs> I know. But eventually they started having no smoking on the left hand side and smoking on the right. As if that made any difference at all. Well, I think it what, did. Do you think it did? I it's think like it's smoking in planes. I would sit with my father on the right hand <laughs> side and not see the film, but my mother would be sitting on the left. She told us afterwards what it was all about. <laughs> Brilliant, uh, but it was. I mean, it was the seventies, and, and everything there was, was drinking as well. He, there was drinking. He used to put the, uh, Mr. Barr used to go out on a Wednesday morning to put the paper to bed. He used to have to travel, and it was old hot metal back then. Yeah. I'm so glad that I saw you know, and it was the typewriters and all the yeah. rest of it, and, and it was it, it was just brilliant. And that's when we used to get the, the cards out and play poker and drink. Hirondale red wine. Hirondale, Hirondale oh, hits the drink oh, yeah. that goes down well. We made that up. So good. <laughs> It was naughty and It was brilliant. a drinking, smoking culture. It was. And how do they treat girls in the do newsroom? Do you know what? This is so interesting because our chief reporter was Joanna, Joanna McKerricker. Oh. So we had a female role model there. Mm. Um, and I never, ever... Which is unusual for the... Very period, unusual. Um, which is why I have been so lucky because I have never experienced that sort of misogyny. It's just mm. not happened to me because I went from there a little bit at the BBC because I went from working at the Scobride News. I got a job at the BBC after applying for everything, Giles. I applied for everything. I even applied as farming correspondent in BBC Radio Aberdeen. <laughs> and I don't know one end of a cow from the other, but I just thought eventually they're going to get so fed up they're going to give me a job which they did as a researcher, but I didn't last very long. This was in BBC Glasgow? BBC, yeah, in Glasgow, BBC Scotland. I oh. didn't last long at all. They, they said I wouldn't... I wanted to be I wanted to be a reporter. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to report stories. Um, but as is well documented, um, the boss at that time didn't like my accent. Nobody spoke like me yeah. on the telly. So I knew I had to leave. And it was just one of those things. When he told me I'd never make it, um, and, unless I took elocution lessons, a job came up at TVAM as a junior reporter and I applied for it and somehow got it. So, And that's when we first that's met. That's when we first met. Which is you're, amazing. You're jumpers. Well, yeah. I was a reporter for a wee while oh. and then I came down. I was sort of... Oh, so you were the Scottish reporter for I a while. I was, I was. And that was an amazing and difficult and wonderful time. Um, Why was it difficult? Difficult because of the, just because of the, the time it was. We had, you know, prison riots. We had the Piper Alpha disaster. Lockerbie happened and it was... 
that was difficult. What was your first growing up experience as a as a grown up that sort of suddenly made you realise I'm not a, just a, a girl reporter? Oh, Lockerbie, definitely. Yeah. Well, Paper Alpha was bad, but Lockerbie for sure. That was really, really bad because we were such a small unit. It was only me and my cameraman and sound man, and I was going out with Steve then, who I'm now married to. So we could scramble really quickly. We could get to places really fast. Everybody would say. But TVM Scotland crew are always at the scene, you know, really quickly. Mm. And we got to Lockerbie really fast and um, saw things that really you, you don't want to see. I would imagine the only comparable thing would be a war zone, really, yeah. to be honest. Um, but I think I, I sort of just went into almost, this is, I almost thought it wasn't real. That was the only way you could handle it. And the weird thing was, because I was on TVM, heading every news bulletin, you know, doing all of these lives from there, I got asked to come down and do the news, like the news hour, the six to seven news mm. hour. Do you remember? I that do used remember. to do that. So, in a weird way, that terrible, and it's the worst um, terrorist attack that we've ever had in Europe, never mind the UK. Um, because of that, I sort of got a break, and I've always found that quite difficult to reconcile yes, that. Do you know what I mean? Something so horrible. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens a lot. To cause people. of your success. Yes, yes. Your husband came onto the scene. Brian really faded into the distance. He did. He just lost touch. I was working too hard. Yeah. I was. And he, and he was what? getting ignored and it wasn't fair. No, exactly. And, and he's gone on to get married and he's very happy, I should add. Men can't cope with being ignored. It's no, the they one don't thing like they, it. Attention is really all they seek. <laughs> like a wee plant if you don't they, want they it. They like a, attention and a little bit of nookie. <laughs> they do. And, and then they're happy. basically that's all you it. have to offer no, them. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, 100%. You know. So, but somebody else came along. Who was the, who was the next one? Really, there wasn't really that many because I did go out with a lovely lawyer from uh, from Glasgow, Cameron. Well, that would have been quite a good catch. Really it? nice. A oh, lawyer. he was lovely. He was such a lovely man. But then I met Steve, and as soon as Steve walked in to that the wee tiny office that we had in Glasgow, and at that time he was the um, the electrician, and then mm. he went on to be the sound man, then the cameraman. As soon Do as they he call it electrician in, sparks? Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, the spark the, is there's happening. a sparky <laughs> element in all of this. There really is. So you ditched. And the East Coast Red News was called the. Sparky? No. <gasps> it was. People used to be so naughty and called it the Sparky because it was they thought it was a comic, which it wasn't, thank you. Um, oh, there's sparks flying all the way through my life. So there was the possibility <laughs> of a high-flying lawyer yes. who was all charming, good-looking. Oh, yeah, lovely. So what did Steve have? I don't know. The sparks to knock I don't know. That you just the When, it, when it happens, it just happens. And we've got an awful lot in common as well. He's from Dundee and he was brought up in Lochie in Dundee, which is quite similar to the Gorbals in Glasgow. So there's a kind of similarity there we, we're very close in age and was so, he good looking Did i think he says i think he is he doesn't think he is but i do he's he's got an interesting face he's got a he's yes he has and he and like most men he gets better as he gets older which is infuriating and on the whole my observation is that women are less lookist than men oh i, I mean men, men yeah, go for I agree. a look I and agree. women are more we want something more than that we want somebody that will look after us he's brilliant at that and somebody that makes us laugh and he's my pal and, and how, how quickly after the first encounter did you realize this was it it right away but then it took me a whole year giles a whole year um, we were just pals, pals, pals. And then I got him really drunk in Glencoe on, on Alabama Slammers. If anybody out there wants, you know, advice. And just to tip you over the edge, <laughs> yes. You just put a bit of tequila and then something like soda water or something, then bang it on the bar and then knock it back. Ginger ale's good as well. Um, and I got him terribly drunk and made my move. But yeah, that was that. You made your move. I did, like a you ninja. initiated it. Like a ninja. But he was ready. He oh, was he was ready. Hot to pass. Absolutely. And then on the Saturday, we went to see Dundee, our first date, Dundee United against Hearts. He's a big Dundee United fan. This is a football game. Yeah. 
Is this a good move oh, as a first date? Oh, it was a great date? first date. I loved it. And then afterwards we had curry. It was brilliant. It was just like everything I love. Football, Indian food, nice man, happy days. Very good. And how <laughs> soon after did you marry? Um, well, we were together a long, long, long time. Uh, we, we got together Did you have to 19- wait till you were pregnant to do it the way your <laughs> no. mother had done it? No, no, no. That wasn't until a couple of years after. Um, 84. Five, we got together and we got married 92 because we wanted a party and we and we, we were always going to get married but we just wanted a party it was when TVM lost its franchise mm-hmm. to GMTV um, and everybody was a bit glum so we thought let's have a party to cheer all ourselves up and that's what we did and it was amazing when did you first realize you were becoming famous oh geez I see I still don't think I am isn't that weird but because people it's it must be a bit like you that people come up to me and they chat away to me as if they've known me for ages mm-hmm. and if I'm walking down the street and Steve's with me and people are chatting away and then he'll say to me how do we how do we know them and I say mm-hmm. oh it's, you know, it's somebody watching thank god I was trying to place them everywhere <laughs> but people kind of treat you um the same, like you're their friends yes. and I love that it's yeah. a huge privilege um, I suppose it was just when people sort of come up and yeah it's probably just when they come up and say hello or I remember going to the Trick Awards and I, and I got a, an award for oh I don't know I can't remember what it was best upcoming thing or something um, and that's when I thought oh my god I'm in this room with all these people and I've actually won something this is really strange this is really strange and I find it odd. I'd still find it, it odd. It was at TVM that you got your first, your own show. Yeah, Eventually, because they loved you so much. Well, and you got your own show. I think it was mainly because they, well, well at GMTV, they sacked me when I got pregnant. Um, oh. They said I was supposed to, I had Rosie in the June and I was supposed to come back in the September. And then they phoned me two weeks before and said, um, uh, we've got someone else. So thanks very much. And that's the way mm, telly is. Yeah. And you have to accept that. Smile sweetly. And just get on with it. But then they got back to me in October to do a mum and baby slot twice a week because they had a big sponsor for it. And of course, I said yes, because I didn't have any other work and I had a wee tiny baby and we just moved house and there was a lot going on. And that's when that did well. So then that was in the November and then the January they gave me my own show, which was lovely. With your first baby, what's your first recollection of the birth? Oh gosh, um, I just remember looking at her. I don't, I don't really remember much about the labour. I think um, were you into epidurals and oh, take whatever? Oh, are you kidding me? I had everything that was going. Yeah, Thank good. you That's very my wife's much. Philosophy as well. Too right, have mm. everything. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, I had everything. Um, but yeah, I remember looking at her wee face and just going, "Oh, it's you!" I knew her right oh. away. You know, and, and and I just looked at her wee eyes and thought, "Ah, oh, it's you." And it's just like everything makes sense now. Thank and, you. And how did you choose the name? Steve loved Rosie and I loved it as well. It was a choice between Rosie or Daisy because we wanted to give it our own name and not, like in my family, there are so many Johns. There's Big John and Wee John and Fat John and Skinny John and Big Bob and Wee Robert and all that, you know, so we wanted to have a a name that was just hers. So Rosie and and, and she looked like a rose. She looked like a little tiny rosebud. So it was very fitting. And has that been a success? Children been a success for you? Well... You know, I would have loved to have more. Um, you know, I, I did sadly have a miscarriage when Rosie was probably about six, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a shame. But we never, you know, we didn't do anything about it. But it look, if it happened, it would be amazing. Yeah. It would be lovely. But we didn't actively go down the road of seeking help, you know, the IVF yeah. or anything like that. And then time, it just got to the stage where, oh, it didn't happen. But I think because we were so lucky to have, you know, a, a 
fantastic kid and a healthy kid. And Rosie is still a, uh, such a big part of your life. Oh yeah, I mean she's you know she she was away in Singapore for a long time, which was really difficult, uh, but great for her because she just bloomed. You know she just blossomed, um, and she's back in the UK now and, and working away. She's a she's a broadcaster. She works for radio. Um, we do a wee podcast together. We do you know so yeah we're still we're very close. But I'm her mum, Giles. I'm not her friend. I don't agree with parents being their children's friends. I don't think it's possible. I would love to sit here and tell you that she tells me everything. Of course she doesn't. She's got her pals to do that. But I would always like to think that she knows I've got her back and I will help her. All, you know, if she's ever needing me, I'm there. Do you know what I mean? Do you remember somebody called Charlton Heston? Of course. I remember being at TVM and Charlton Heston... Uh, he was sitting on the sofa and I came to sit down next to him with my cup of tea. And I put my cup of tea down and as I put it down, Charlton Heston picked it up and began to drink from it. <laughs> and it was at that moment I realised that he lived in a world where everything that was brought into right. his orbit was for him. The entitlement. An entitlement yes. of being a... And he was in the oh, 1950s, 60s, a huge ma- global star. Massive. Who was for you the moment like that <gasps> that you realised I'm in the presence of a star? Oh, gosh. And that's happened a couple of times. My very first day that I got the job in TVAM, they brought me down to London to show how it all worked. And Bette Davis was being interviewed by Annie Diamond. Good and I, I couldn't, I mean, I, I actually couldn't speak. I, I, I just thought I'm in, I'm in the same building mm. as Bette Davis. And I was up in the gallery when they were talking to Anne and Bette Davis was smoking. Of course. And they said to Anne, Tell her, no, tell her to put her cigarette out, and she never no. did. Because how could you? How could you? Oh, for goodness sake! The woman had earned the right. She do whatever she wants. Yes, exactly. Whatever she wants, and I loved that. And that was a that was really good to see all of that happening. Um, and then I was really lucky enough to interview Kirk Douglas mm. and Tony Curtis. Oh, I mean, come on! It's in the days when do you remember uh, Terry Wogan had his show, yeah, and all the course. big stars would go on, mm-hmm. and then we would nick them the next day. We'd say we haven't got any money to pay you, but, but you the, can sit there the and morning you can, after, you yes, can yes. come for. <laughs> You can come from six o'clock till half nine. You can talk about whatever you want. You can do whatever you like. And they go, oh, that sounds quite good. And they didn't have all the PR people round about them, you know, so you could ask them anything. And there was that nice canteen there. I oh, remember it was going to that canteen with some quite extraordinary people. It was actually worth just going into your yeah. work just for the food. Yeah. And Never the building it. was beautiful. And the building was gorgeous with the egg cups and everything. Yeah. I loved, loved, loved it. And I remember Tony Curtis saying to me, what part of Ireland are you from? And I didn't correct him because I just thought, you're Tony Curtis. And then just sitting looking at these people, just thinking, I grew up watching your films. This is incredible, you know? Oh, oh it was... I, I'll never forget that. That's what was your first difficult moment with a difficult person? Um, most people are pretty good. As you know, they're coming on to flog something, so they're yeah. usually going to be... You know, they're usually going to be all right. But I do remember there was a band called the Soup Dragons and they were quite refreshed when they come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. And then, and it was it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Oh. I like them and I still like them. But yeah, that was that was quite a difficult interview. It was like, you know, the two Ronnie sketch where yes. they, they answer the question uh, yeah. that you've just asked no, before. No. And it, yeah, it was a little bit like that. It was a bit like that with Oliver Reed. You, did you ever meet Oliver Reed? Yes, I can imagine. He was, on, he, he was on good form with me. Michael Winner wasn't very nice, you know, the film director. We were in a, an ad break and Mike, you know, lovely Mike Morris, who of I adored. Oh, he was I the nicest him. man in the world. He was. I know, he was, and he taught me so much. I learned so much from him just sitting Decent beside him. Too. Proper. Just a proper, lovely, thoroughly nice person. I thought if Dune Telly was like that, how wrong I was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he was he was sort of sitting chatting to Michael Winner and he said, oh, I hope you're all right after he'd had a heart operation. <laughs> and he went, I'm not here to talk about that. And this was during the ad break. And he just pulled his microphone off and stormed off. 
And I thought, first of all, I thought, oh, that's a shame you didn't do that live on air because that would have mm. been quite entertaining. Um, but yeah, it came back to us and we, we just explained. This is the joy of what we do. We just explained oh. what had happened and it was fine. But I think he was just, he just couldn't be bothered. He couldn't be bothered. Yeah. He was a difficult man, actually. Very prickly. And he spoiled things often for himself. I he remember did. He did. there was a Daily Mail lunch that I was hosting and he came on to speak. And the first five minutes was really good. Mm. The first 10 minutes was quite good. Then he, he began to berate the audience. And after 25 minutes, he was uh, ab- he literally verbal abusing the audience. Oh, was no. compre- I mean, you know. Were they shouting, get off? Uh, well, no, they were sitting there bemused <laughs> as he was effing and blinding. Oh, no. And I Funny thought, fella. you're doing this to yourself. Mm, very strange. I also did some filming with him for The One Show. And he was so rude to the young girl oh, director. no, I can't do it. So rude. No, 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 no. And I called a truce. And I said, come on, hold on. And I said to her... She, he is, uh, he is a successful man. Yeah. He thinks he could direct this better. Mm. Why don't we let him direct it? <gasps> oh, what a good strategy! And the horrifying thing is, he did direct it, and the shot was so much better. Oh. He repositioned the camera. Oh, he moved the, the so mic. Annoying. It was annoying. It was, but he was satisfied because he thought, "Yes, I've done uh, it." I've got one up uh, on you, and then you got a good product. We so. got a good product, yeah, but and, and we both we both learnt from it. Mm. You know, mm. um, anybody that you that you've met you think was I mean I always say the most special person I met was Archbishop Desmond Tutu oh did you because oh my goodness, he was so warm him. he was like a bundle of sunshine Yay. who for you would be the equivalent of that gosh um, I think Hugh Jackman oh. is delightful and I say this because you know when you do these junkets and you get to the hotel floor and they've taken the whole floor because again the entitlement um, he as soon as you walked out onto the corridor People were happy, they were laughing, they were smiling, they were joking. And I thought, that's all down to him because he sets the tone, doesn't he? So if he, if, if the person you're interviewing is demanding, difficult, I always try and give people the benefit of the doubt and say they're insecure the first time. I, but the second time they're horrible, I go, you're just horrible. But he was such a delight and so lovely. But my interview that I was... I mean, I still can't believe that I actually spoke to him. Buzz Aldrin, second man on the moon. Oh, my goodness. And I just kept looking at him and thinking, I remember watching that landing with my dad on a black and white telly and just thinking, possibilities are endless. You know, this is incredible. So talking to him is amazing. And he was like a kid. He was still talking about going to Mars. You know, it's about four years ago. And he's like, yeah, well, we're going to Mars. He had a wee T-shirt on and and I'm going to go. And I'm like wow, you're nearly 90 and you've still got that curiosity and that sense of what's next. Is, that what, is that what keeps you going, curiosity? Yeah, definitely. I think curiosity is the most... Because... You, you have to have it. You come in, you do this show, yeah. Lorraine, five days a week yeah. at ITV. How many years have you been doing it now? <gasps> nearly 40. Nearly <gasps> 40 in breakfast television, about 35. Wow. Yeah. And but, what, yeah. what keeps you going? I love it. Mm-hmm. Every day is different. I've got the best team in telly. But actually, it is curiosity. Mm. It really is. I just want every single day I find out something new um, and getting the chance to talk to the most incredible people. And I don't mean, I mean, obviously, it's fantastic to talk to Hugh Jackman. It's fantastic to talk to George Clooney and all these amazing A-listers. But actually, the most interesting ones are it's when somebody's got an amazing story to tell and they trust you with it. You know, whether it's something that's horrific that's happened to them or something terribly uplifting that's happened, for somebody to trust you with their story is enormous. Um, And again, you learn so much from that. Outside your love of work and Mm. your love of your husband and your Mm. daughter, what's the chief love of your life? 
Um, I would say I love anything to do with exploration. I was very lucky to go to Antarctica and follow the route that Ernest Shackleton took. I'm a huge Ernest, I'm a nerd. I'm a huge Ernest Shackleton fan. That was astonishing. And at his grave, I cried buckets because it was just such an emotional experience. So I read a lot about that, find out a lot about that. I love just sitting, listen to birdies. I just love all that. Uh, you know, birds are astonishing. We, we we go to Africa a lot, Steve and I, but we what he does is he hires a jeep and then we sleep on top of the jeep. You just put a tent on top of the jeep and you do you just go wherever you want to go um, and he's so practical that if anything bad happens like a tyre goes or something goes out it breaks down he can fix that's anything that's fantastic so you're not being brave because you've got a real man I've with you I've got a man there yeah. it's, sometimes it's a little bit scary when a lion is you know there and you need to go for a wee and you can't and <laughs> Quite difficult. Do you, do you lend him out it. occasionally? Because I'd love to do that with my wife, but she'd need a real man there. Oh, I, I just love that. I love, I love that. So that's a real passion. And we've, we, we just, we did Zimbabwe this year. We went to Zimbabwe, and that was incredible. And you really get a sense of what the country's really like, and you meet lots of different people. And you're not sort of in a bubble of, you know, go, lodges are great. Don't get me wrong, all of that's lovely. But when you're actually in your car and you're you've got your wee yeah. tiny fridge in the back and you're cooking on a wee one wee stove I love all that that's it's the real great. thing yeah and you don't change your pants for a long time <laughs> and having been a child writer you're now a grown up writer I know I'm very excited uh, nervous and um, I can't still can't believe that I've got my first book coming out my first novel your certainly. first novel yeah um, I've been wanting to do it for years and I always thought I'd never be able to have the time it's, mm. it's the time isn't it's it great discipline isn't it it is how long I, a book is it it's about i would say oh gosh that's difficult about one hundred ten thousand, something yeah, like that the it's, yeah it I they didn't want any more than that no, i overwrote i think no. i think your first book you always do overwrite don't you um and, and were I, you quite disciplined i was i had to carve out time yeah. and stick to it um and make sure like you know I, I mean i was sitting editing it in zimbabwe i was sitting by the zambezi you know, editing this book about Orkney, which was quite strange, but really... Yeah. And what sort of a story is it? It's a story about relationships. It's not a murder. It's not, you know, it hasn't got any sex in it. It's just a oh, good... Don't you want to sell any copies? <laughs> oh dear, it's I'm just, disappointed. It's an old-fashioned story about... i forward to it. Yeah, about sort of relationships, especially yes. that mother and daughter relationship, the sister relationship. Wow. Somebody has this... My, my The main character has to leave Orkney under very strange circumstances, and then she goes back... Um, and it's how she deals with that. You've been thinking about this for a long time. Yeah, I because have. Because I remember now you're telling me the story. Yeah. You told me about this quite a few years ago. I did, and it, that now it's been fermenting away Wonderful. in my brain. Oh. Um, and it's been an amazing process. I've loved it. I, I really have. I've learned an awful lot, you know, because I was absolutely overwriting and over-describing and all of that. I, I, you know, first-time novel, of course, you're going to do that. Um, but yeah, it's coming out next year, and... I, I'm so looking forward to having the first copy in my hand. I don't think, I mean, you've written so many books, but I bet you still get that thrill when you've got that book in your hand and you just think, wow, you know, it's, it's amazing. I take it out and I, I remove the dust jacket. I look at the spine oh. and, you know, smell the oh. pages. And to Fantastic. think, you know, when I was little, reading all these books and now I I've know. got a book. All these dreams. I know, but, and I, I dedicated uh, it to my mum because she was the one that taught me to, uh, well, to read and write and gave me my love of books. We began with her, age 17, <laughs> finding she was pregnant, not knowing what that meant. I yes. know, she was so, such an innocent. Yes, exactly. Oh, so that's what, when he does that, that's what happens. That's oh, what dearly happens, me. who knew? What's your first lesson that you would share with 
people listening to this, the, the lesson you've learned from life? I think, oh gosh, that's a hard one. I think, listen, don't always be on transmit, you know, actually receive and listen to people. Did my wife phone you to tell <laughs> you to say this? But I think it's, you know, in, in all walks of life, I mean, obviously what I do, you've got to listen to people and you've just got to be, you've just got to go with them. You know, an interview can go in so many different directions. Mm. It's, it's you, you go with them. But I think that has sort of gone out the window and listen to people's point of view. You might not agree with them. That's okay. That's fine. I don't know where we lost that, that we're not allowed to have differing, you know, differing opinions and, and, and disagree with each other. It's healthy. It's healthy. We should, we've got to have difficult conversations sometimes so yeah I would say listen this has been a very easy conversation because you're a very lovely person Lorraine thank you very much for joining <laughs> us on Rosebud thank you <laughs> That's it for this week's Rosebud. Before I go, it's time for some of your first memories. These are so fascinating and so evocative, so thank you to everyone who's sent something in. Bethany Marsden in Grimsby has been in touch. My very first memory, says Bethany, is being lifted up at the age of two under my arms to reach an apple from a tree in an orchard in Lababon, Brittany, France. The person lifting me up was my dad, who's so dear to me and a wonderful person. The fact this is my first memory is very precious to me because it is my first memory of my dad, but it is also in France, and I'm now a French teacher. I've a lot of core memories from that holiday, including using miniature plastic cleaning items to help clean the hotel that we were staying at with the housekeepers, and probably getting in their way an awful lot. I also remember a young boy called Laurence showing me a bucket full of crabs and seawater that had been pilfered from the beach, and swapping my football for a frisbee with some boys from Sheffield. It's all so clear, 31 years later. Thanks for that, Bethany. Very evocative. Now, who else has been in touch? Oh, Haley. Not Haley Mills, though every Haley in the world who's called Haley is called Haley because of Haley Mills. Haley Mills, who won an Oscar as a child actress uh, and is alive and well and a neighbour of mine in southwest London and a friend of mine. I think actually her childhood was quite fascinating. We must ha get her on Rosebud sometime. Anyway, this is Haley from Gloucestershire. She says, hello, Giles and co. Really enjoying the podcast so far. The one with Alison Hammond had me laughing out loud. One of my first memories is going to the deli counter at the supermarket with my dad and two younger brothers and being allowed to choose one thing each for our favourite dinner. Everything. We called it everything because that's exactly what it was. A bit of everything. French sticks, scotch eggs, ham, pickled onions, chicken, drumsticks, salad... Although my first tooth came out while eating a scotch egg, and I was petrified to eat a scotch egg for quite a while after that. Can I tell you something, Haley? I think your first tooth was reacting to the scotch egg in a good way. I mean, I know scotch eggs are popular. I don't know if they come from Scotland, or indeed why they're called scotch eggs. I must find out. But... They are not my idea of good, nourishing food. Your first tooth was rebelling against premature scotch egg. Okay? But thanks for getting in touch, Haley. Good to be good good to hear from you. If you've got recollections from your childhood you'd like to share, the email here, hello at rosebudpodcast.com. That's it for this week's Rosebud. Do join us next time. And thank you for listening.
is produced by Harriet Jane, artwork by Freya Betts, and music by Phil Leppard. <laughs>